0: Thank you for coming out. Thank you for
1: coming out. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO, as we call it, and it is now one of the longest-running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming-out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And this episode is different because we are still recording during the COVID-19 pandemic while physically distancing, which means we are not in our studio using our audio equipment. Um, so our uh, studio audio equipment. So the quality might be a little bit different than what you're used to, uh, but we are all doing the best we can with what we have. And I am super duper excited about our guests that we have here with us today. Nouveau Zissen, they them pronouns, is a queer non-binary Jewish writer, performer, activist, and public speaker based in Nam, Melbourne, Australia. I hope I got that right. They run workshops. I got a thumbs up. Okay, great. They run (laughs) workshops in schools and professional development trainings in workplaces around transgender identities. Author of award winning Finding Nouveau, a memoir on gender transition, and The Pronoun Lowdown, a useful guidebook on all things related to pronouns. Their work has appeared in many Australian writers' festivals The Saturday Paper, NGV Magazine, Archer Magazine, Junkie, Kindred, a queer Australian young adult anthology. SBS, Hack Live, and The Morning Show, amongst others. They are a mentor for the Pinnacle Foundation, one of Out for Australia's 30 Under 30 for 2019, an ambassador for both Wear It Purple and the Victorian Pride Centre, as well as a member of the Gender Euphoria cast, Australia's largest all trans and gender diverse show on a main stage. Wowza. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Dobbs. Yes, it's my pleasure how so it's the end of my day and the beginning of your day in Australia how are are, how's your day going so far
0: my day's going pretty well yeah I think the pacing of like end of the year race to the finish line is really something I'm experiencing Mm -hmm. Um, which is so interesting right because it's the end of the year is is such a construct it's like I can continue to do things in January it's not like it has to be done by the end of December but um yeah I'm really feeling that and and we only came out of lockdown I would say maybe a month ago or so so I think the adjustment to um, that pacing of of simultaneously the end of year and coming out of lockdown has been a lot
1: (laughs) yeah what um what is it, how long, how long have you been in lockdown in Australia right now?
0: Oh, it's hard to say. So I live in Melbourne um, on Wurundjeri land, and I'd like to pay my respect to elders past and present um, on whose stolen land I live and reside, the Wurundjeri Wurrung people of the Eastern Kulin Nations, um, and recognize that sovereignty was never ceded, and this was and always will be. Aboriginal land and pay respect as well to gender transcendent deviants of all kinds from all over the world of First Nations cultures and recognize that, you know, transgender identity is not a new left wing fad or an invention of whiteness and that Aboriginal brother boys and sister girls, for example, have existed on this continent for 80,000 plus years. Um, and yeah, just want to recognize the the disproportionate impact that colonization has had on trans and gender diverse people um, of first nations experiences and cultures so here in nam um, in melbourne uh we were the most like the most locked down city in the world i think wow. um is my remembering so we've been in and out of lockdowns but um yeah. There's like a breakdown of how many days it was in total, but I think it was, we were in lockdown for over 200 days mm. in total. Yeah. Broken up over a couple of years.
1: Yeah. Can I ask one more question or do you want to just not talk about it, which is absolutely fine? No, it's fine. fine. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> um, what, does, I, I would, what does lockdown mean in this instance for you?
0: Yeah. So in Melbourne, it meant um, there were different incarnations, but it essentially meant not leaving your house. You had Mm. like four main reasons to leave the house. I think you were allowed an hour of exercise a day to go to the supermarket, um, to go to work if it was 100% necessary and couldn't be done from home. So if you were an essential worker and for caregiving for people who were in need. So that was pretty much it. Yeah, you could leave for an hour. We had a five-kilometer radius at one point that we couldn't leave that radius. Mm. Um, and we also had a curfew at nighttime. So we had to be back home by like 8 p.m. or like 9 p.m. at different points. Um, so yeah, that was pretty much what we did for a really long time. And then there were different versions. Like you could leave 10 kilometer radius, you could have two hours of exercise, but it was pretty negligible differences in the scheme of what it means to be locked down in your house.
1: <laughs> yeah. And were they pretty strict on enforcing it?
0: Yeah. I mean, it depends where you lived. There were mm-hmm. definitely higher policing areas based on socioeconomic status and racial backgrounds for sure. So, um yeah certain areas were like heavily policed There were like a housing commission for example where there was a covid outbreak that they ended up like securing the building and having heaps of cops out the front of it and of course when that took place in like whiter, uh, more affluent suburbs that never happened mm-hmm. um so there was a lot of disproportionate policing rather than treating it as a healthcare crisis um yeah yeah so it was it was pretty enforced i would say
1: Mm -hmm. and you said it just ended for now
0: yes yes (laughs) yeah but we are like victoria where i live is like 92 percent vaccinated double vaxxed Mm. at this point um and australia in general is doing quite well with our vaccination rates as well so i i feel hopeful that we won't be facing more lockdowns but i am wary and grateful for everything i get to do at this stage
1: <laughs> yeah for sure well I, I also hope that we're you know on a downward trending but i know with omicron that might not be the case but anyways mm-hmm. no more covid talk <laughs> um unless we want to keep talking about it but I feel like we have For other money, st- yeah. other stuff. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we all have multiple coming out stories, multiple coming into ourself stories. Um, and so I invite you to share one, one or more of those with, with us.
0: Yeah. I really love um, the way that you frame the like coming out or coming in, because I think that those are two very different experiences, right? Mm-hmm. Like I believe that coming out is something that is thrust upon us because there have been assumptions made about who we are without our consent more often than not um and and through those assignations and through cis heteronormativity and i yeah i really i think there is a really different process of coming into yourself i think that that is like a bigger journey really than letting other people in so for me I think there's been lots of different versions of coming out, coming in, finding my truth. Um I like to come out every couple of years just to keep people on their toes, you know, I don't want them to get too comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um so I was, you know, assigned female at birth and that came with like so many different expectations around who I was going to be and what kind of girl I would become and you know I often speak about how parents have this sort of like set GPS system almost of like where they expect their kids to end up whether it's you know become a doctor or a lawyer get married and have kids or like please get off the couch one day you know they have like some (laughs) idea of where they want us to go and I think that we all take twists and turns in our life regardless of like gender and sexuality that Are different from what our parents may have anticipated, which is also just like an intergenerational thing, right? Um, And so I really believe that my mom had very much anticipated that I would grow up to marry a good Jewish boy. I don't think she ever anticipated that I might become one. (laughs) So she had a lot of ideas about what that would look like. And from a really young age of four years old, I was Saying that's not going to be the case. So I think that was my very first coming out. Like I was telling people, I'm a boy. I'm not a girl. I'm not a drama. You know that people would call me a drama queen, and I would say I'm not a drama queen. I'm a drama king. <laughs> I am fine with being dramatic, just as long as I was gendered correctly. <laughs> right. um, and you know that phase of my life lasted for about five years, from the age of four until nine. And I and I use the word phases really consciously because I think that that word has historically been used and weaponized against queer people as a way of disproving our identities. Um, But the reality is is that, you know, everything is a phase, right? Like childhood is a phase. High school is a phase. Thank God. Mm. Hopefully the pandemic is a phase. Like everything we go through is a phase, but just because it is short-lived doesn't mean that it doesn't shape us and it doesn't make us who we are. So I think that was me being in my truth As early as I possibly could be, and then receiving ramifications for that truth of, you know, like kids don't really know that they're different until someone points it out. Uh, And I often think that parents, for the most part, have really good intentions, but in a bid to protect their child when they notice difference in them from the often hostile out out outer world, sometimes they try to condition that difference out of their children. And I believe what that really does is rather than succeeding in assimilating their child into the mainstream, what it really does is convert a parent into a child's first bully.
1: Mm.
0: And that's something that they remember forever. So I believe that, like, the reason why I wasn't able to continue on that trajectory of, of truth and authenticity was because of how I experienced that from my parents, from my family, from kids at school who picked on me for being a tomboy and for being chubby and for just being different in whatever ways they decided I was. Um, and so I didn't then come out again until... I was 15, which I guess is still pretty young for, for coming out. Uh, and I shaved all of my hair off the world's greatest shave, which is a, a gateway to coming out as a lesbian, I've been told. <laughs> and, um, yeah, rumours started in the Jewish community that I was a lesbian because, of course, the length of your hair dictates who you're attracted to. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, no worries. I'm like a straight woman who's all about defying stereotypes and wearing really big earrings and I realized I was a lesbian. I was like, damn it, I really don't want to come out right now, you know. Um, so I came out initially as bisexual, which of course is not a, a stepping stone sexuality I identify as bi very much now. But um at the time I thought it might be a little bit easier for my mom to process. Uh, but instead she really just held on to the fact that I could still get married to a man and have kids. Um, And she didn't know how to police my sleepovers anymore. She was like, you know, you can't have boys, but now you can't have girls and everyone's a threat. I was like, (laughs) I'm 15, no one's a threat. It's all good. Um, And then, yeah, I came out as a lesbian and, you know, my sister said, I'm okay with you being a lesbian as long as you don't have a crush on me. I was like, there is so much to unpack there. Mm -hmm. She was also 10 years older than me. So she was 25 at the time uh my mom said okay I'm fine with you being a lesbian after a while um as long as the girls that you date are Jewish and Mm. I was like okay I know three Jewish lesbians and they're all in their 40s is that what you want for me you know so she she had to back down on that one and then um my next sort of incarnation of coming outs was when I was 17 and you know at the time like I'd really packaged up my childhood into these like five year this five year phase as being indicative that I was going to be a lesbian that it was foreshadowing my my lesbian identity, which to some extent maybe it was, but I think what i hadn't considered was that you know when I was four years old, I wasn't really talking about my attraction to other people, I was talking mm-hmm. about who I was, which is not to say that every kid who's playing with gender is indicative of transness but maybe that the binary expectations and gender norms we have don't really encapsulate anybody fully. And so I'd kind of packaged that up really neatly and then it wasn't until later on down the track that things started to unravel a little bit and I realised that I was trans. And, you know, at that point in time, like, that was in 2013, which really wasn't that long ago um, in the scheme of things, but as far as, like, the socio-political landscape goes and the cultural zeitgeist like I had nothing you know and I'm sure that you can relate to this too and I'm sure a lot of people who are listening as well like I had no representation of trans masculinity or that non-binary people existed I mean there was Chaz Bono and Buck Angel I reckon were the only trans people I had even heard of the only time I saw myself represented on screen was when I saw Boys Don't Cry when I was 16 Mm. Now, if you've seen that film, you know how traumatic that is. And if that is the first time that you see yourself represented ever and you connect to a character in a way you never have before and then it results in sexual assault and murder, what do you think that does to the psyche of a young person trying to imagine their future? You know, it means that we stop imagining our futures and that Mm -hmm. is the reality for so many young trans folks. Like, I didn't grow up with... Demi Lovato, Jonathan Van Ness, Sam Smith, Laverne Cox, Janet Mock, even Caitlyn Jenner, Elliot Page, you know, I mean, the fact that I can do that off the top of my head and a lot of people, if not most people would recognize at least one or two of those names. Like Mm. we have come so far in that time, you know, in 2014, that's when Time magazine had the cover of Laverne Cox and called it the transgender tipping point, you know. Um, now, was it because I came out the year prior that all of these things changed? No one knows. The jurists <laughs> right. are out on that one. Not sure <laughs> if that really spread to the US in the ways that I'm anticipating. But you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it's been it's been quite huge. So, yeah, I think my coming out was, like, quite a sad one. And, and even compared to a lot of other people, it was really fortunate and loving and supportive. Um, but I really would like to see a future in which that, tragedy narrative around transness is pivoted to a celebration and in so much of the trans training that I do I don't really focus very much on gender dysphoria at all I talk much more about euphoria and how beautiful those discoveries can be because I think that you know like non-queer people often see coming out as like a light bulb moment you know like realizing who you are for the first time and for me with all of that representation behind me You know, for me, it was a light bulb that illuminated a room full of monsters that I was like, okay, well, please turn the light off. But also you can't because now I know what's in the room. Right. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it wasn't a particularly like happy experience, but I think over time. And with more access to resources and community. Like if I could go back to my 16 or 17-year-old self now and show them what I look like and the kind of life that I lead, like there would be so much celebration there. And now I get to wake up every single day thinking, thank God I'm trans. And like I would never change it for the world. I would never want to be cis or straight. I don't, I, I don't I don't even truly understand that experience. Like I, I get that some people do want that for access to safety and for lots of other reasons but for me I'm like this was exactly how my life was supposed to go and I couldn't be more grateful
1: wow thank you so much for sharing um I know that I can relate to a lot of what you said and so can our listeners I um so many things you said I want to to talk to you about um I'm going to w- work in reverse order um, boys don't cry is one of those moments for me also that i talk about pretty regularly on like that was the only representation that i had and like if i mean essentially exactly what you said and so it's just it's so resonant um and incredible that you could list all those people um as as you know trans folks that other people myself included can continue to look up to um and honor and um this, this idea. So now I'm going to, I'm going to move back. And this idea of parents having a GPS um, is such a cool way to put that. Um, I always say it's like, you know, they have met, I don't know. Um, I also um, educate um, and run workshops. I work for an organization called Keshet. I don't know if, do, do you know what Keshet is? Yes, yeah, um, I've heard of Keshet. Okay. So for those of you listening who don't know what Keshet is, it's a national nonprofit that works with Jewish organizations on LGBTQ inclusion. And so I get to work with Jewish professionals all day, every day on making more equitable spaces for trans people or all, all LGBTQ people. But a lot of times they want to talk about trans identity. It um, must be wild. It yeah. is wild. <laughs> when we go offline, we'll talk. Yeah, But yeah, I do. I try to talk about you know how parents have these expectations for us. Um, and I, and I love that you brought in, you know, even like regardless of gender and sexuality, because what, what I try to do is I try to, because um, most of the people that I am educating are straight and or cisgender. Um, and so I try as much as I can to have what I'm talking about relate to them so they can mm. evoke empathy and be like, we're actually not that different we mm. just have different circumstances, but it's all actually the same. And so having this same in some ways. Um, and so the language that you use around like a GPS and where your kids are supposed to go um, is really powerful. Um, especially with the idea of like, like, you know, we all take twists and turns mm. um, and don't end up where we think we're supposed to be.
0: Yeah. I'm really passionate about universalizing a lot of the the issues that, Trans and gender diverse people face right because I think maybe historically and and please correct me if I'm wrong or if you don't agree with this but I think historically you know in an in a bid to assimilate into mainstream I think trans educators and maybe particularly from a binary framework have tried to be very much like we're just like you don't be afraid like we just want to you know fit in and blend in and be cis passing and like get all the surgeries that we want in order to like assimilate into mainstream and i feel like if hypothetically we say that like cis people are on one side and trans people on the other side i feel like historically we have tried to bring ourselves to the cis people whereas my approach is bringing the cis people to us i'm like you are also not comfortable with gender norms. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a reason why male suicide rates are as high as they are. Male violence is caused by these sorts of gender norms. There is so much racism embedded in the ways that we perceive gender roles through a lens of whiteness. Colonisation has had a huge impact on relationships with gender and perceptions of gender. Capitalism is a really big result of, or is a really big um, you know overarching idea that pushes the division of genders like the gap between paying for different gendered products i mean gendered toys didn't even exist until the industrial revolution when capitalists realized that they could profit twice off a family if they just divided their toys it's related to ableism it's related to fat phobia like all of these systems are related to one another and so i go into my workshop saying like do you feel empowered by these gender norms? Like, do they feel good for you? Because we have created this very us and them dichotomy of cis people and trans people, and that trans people are the other are mutants and the outliers, and the we need to pathologize them, we need to fix them, and it's like we're not broken the system is broken mm-hmm. the the tags that we put on the end of to baby's toes are broken like it's the assignation that's broken and i think for the most part trans communities have really moved away from this like born in the wrong body narrative you know born this became of this and now we're talking about assignation and what does it mean to problematize that assignation because when your family are mourning you when you come out as trans they're not really mourning you because it's actually the first time in your life that you feel fully alive mm-hmm. they're mourning all of the expectations that they have for you that you never consented to in the first place so is the problem with the trans individual or with those expectations in the first place so I think there's a, a lot to be said of universalizing that conversation and bringing mm-hmm. it bigger and, and I love saying this to people you know when they're like oh, what's it like feeling, you know, trapped in your body or like really dysphoric or uncomfortable? And, you know, I say to them like, yeah, what's it like to always feel comfortable in your body and to love all of your body parts? Oh, you you don't? You also live in a society that profits off our self-doubt? How interesting is that? You know, that actually maybe some of these experiences are really universal. Like, and that's why I find it so funny when like, trans exclusionary radical feminists in inverted commas are like so anti-trans because i'm like babes we have really similar experiences like mm-hmm. you're fighting the same things that we are and if we liberate trans people we're all going to be liberated and that's the the message is like you know in the workshops that i run it's like if you liberate the most marginalized people you are going to liberate yourself as well because you are also harmed by those systems. But if you always choose to align yourself with the elite, the privileged elite and assimilate as much as you can, you're always going to be disadvantaging the parts of yourself that won't be able to conform to mainstream society and to the community members that will never be able to fit in.
1: Yes. Amen. I agree with all that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Absolutely. I I try to as much as I can explain to people that a lot of trans people don't want to be cis passing, and that it's not mm. like when people say like you don't even look trans, I'm like what we does never it never guessed. <laughs> yeah, I never would have guessed, or like what does that mean? And like cause, I'm, cause it's I not a guessing it. game, right? Right? Um, yeah, it's it's wild the the questions and the comments that I get. Um, but you also you also said. Um, um parents for the most part have good intentions in trying to protect their children but they condition the difference out of them and rather than succeeding it actually converts parents into a child's first bully that's like really powerful
0: yeah it's big it's big stuff it's definitely how I felt and you know I work with a lot of parents of trans and gender diverse people now and and they like I feel for them also because like I think my parents somewhat did the best they could with what was available to them, you know, like, again, if all you have ever been taught is trans people either don't exist, or if they do, boys don't cry, then like, of course, you're going to feel terrified for your trans kid, of course, you're going to think that their transness might result in murder, or like a horrible existence, which is why representation is so important because when trans when parents of trans kids see me on instagram with all my friends and my family and people loving me and my partner and having like a beautiful life they don't have to grieve this like tragedy that they think is approaching their child they can be like oh, look, there's so much goodness out there. But if they've never seen that before, then of course they imagine the worst. And of course they don't want their kid to be trans because they think that it's going to be this like devastating, horrible thing. And they think that it's changeable. And so I think, you know, what I often say to parents is like, unfortunately, you can't control everything that goes on in the world. You can't protect your child from everything. What you can do is consistently be a safe place for them to come home to and help them build resilience and know that no matter what is out there that on these four walls you can be fully yourself i will always love you and i will support you in whatever ways you can i think that is far more powerful than trying to make them different so that they won't experience that discrimination. Like you can stop trans people from transitioning, but it's not going to make us not trans, right? It's just going to make us miserable. Mm. The more that you try to push that stuff away from us, the harder it will be to access our authenticity safely. Uh, And I think that that is the best thing that parents can do is to build resilience in their kids and be like, you know, it's tough out there. People aren't always going to understand and I'm just going to do my best to advocate for you. These parents of young trans kids have said that they often feel like shields, that that is their role, that they are trying to shield their children from the onslaught of negativity so that they can live childhoods, you know, and actually be kids. Um, and I think that is the best thing that parents can do for their kids.
1: Yeah. I, tr- I have this conversation with my parents all the time of, and us all trying to negotiate our feelings um, of like, I also say very similar to what you said. Like, I, I know that you were doing the best you could with information you had in the eighties and the nineties. Um, but that's not what I needed. Like, yes, you had the best intentions and that's not what I needed. And um, my, my parents, you know, we, we get into it a lot and, i think they're i came out um as genderqueer i also well i first came out as bisexual as well same like the same reasoning as you and i always give the same caveat of it not being a stepping stone identity um but when i came out as trans I, i guess uh oh wow almost eight years ago i guess um it. But I didn't use the word trans. I wasn't ready to use mm. to use that word yet. But so it's been a long time that I've been having these conversations with my parents, and they're. They, I feel like they're slowly starting to come around and understand that even though they had the best of intentions, that it isn't. What I needed, and you know, like mm. I, I post about the on the anniversary of my bat mitzvah, of like feeling forced into this ritual of becoming a woman, when like that's literally the last thing I wanted to happen, but I didn't have the language or the understanding or really the safety, mm. to ex to to explain that to anybody. Um, and I remember getting into fights with my parents about that, of like you know that was such an important moment for our family and it was so special and we spent so much money on the party and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's just, it's not really, it's not really about you. It's about, mm. I'm telling you what I was feeling. So anyways, I, all of that is to say um I just really relate to what you're saying. And I think a lot of people listening will, will as well.
0: I think also what you've touched on really beautifully as well, that I think comes up in like all interpersonal conflict, not just our relationship with our parents, but that, There are multiple truths that can coexist. There is no objective truth. And that conflict resolution is actually not about someone being right or someone's truth being the ultimate truth, but rather about hearing each other's truth and trying to get to some sort of negotiationable middle ground. And I've had those conversations with my mom as well, where she's like, Well, this was really sad for me. And like, I was mourning and I felt like I was losing my daughter and all of these sorts of things that I'm like, all of that is true for you. I'm not trying to tell you that it's not true, but it doesn't make my truth any smaller. Like what, what I was going through was that I needed my mom, that I felt like you were projecting all of this stuff onto me, you know, and when you, you're able to be like, okay, I hear you. Like we, my mom and I are actually in family therapy at the moment and we we spoke about this recently and she was like, well, I didn't know anything better to do and I did the best I could and blah, but, and I was like, huh, I don't, I don't want these excuses. I don't want these defenses. All of that is true. I know that truth. And do you know why I know that truth? Because throughout my entire coming out, I had to keep holding everyone else's truth more than my own. I had to keep being like, they'll come around in time. I just need to be patient. I just need to do this. You know. And I said to her, for once, I actually need you to just listen to my truth. Don't give me any defenses. Don't give me any excuses just listen to the fact that I was 17 and I really needed my mom and she wasn't there for me and neither was anyone else. And I had to educate everyone around me and I was completely alone. I need you to hear that. And she cried and she said, I'm sorry. And I said, that's all I needed. You know, I just needed you to hear me and to not try to come up against me with your truth and your reasons and your this, because I know them already. Of course I know them. I had to be in everyone else's, you know, empathy bubbles because no one was there for me. And I was like, I just, just a minute, just give me this space. So I think that's something that people really could, could use like and and what you would have read in the pronoun lowdown as well when i talk about supporting people i'm like if you are grieving if you are experiencing this that's valid like it's not for me to say like that's really transphobic or that's this or that's that it doesn't need judgment around it because that's not what's going to help dissipate it but what you do need to know is where is appropriate to let out those feelings and to process those feelings and where is not it's not appropriate to tell your trans kid that you feel like you're losing your daughter or that you're grieving their name or stuff like that go to a therapist I mean gosh if all our parents had gone to therapy it would look very different but like yeah. it's okay to have those feelings you just need to know where to put them um, and I think that if you put them in the wrong place it can have some really serious consequences
1: yeah I think um uh, yeah absolutely'm I'm, I'm I'm flashing back right now to um, like a week before my top surgery and my, my mom came in to take care of me. Um, but before that it was a lot of me holding everyone else's worry and anxiety. And I think, um, stereotypes present, like in a Jewish family, it was like, for me, it was just like, so 10, like tenfold of like the anxiety and the worry and the stress and the, I need to be there for you. And and
0: to comfort people about like, your own surgery when it's like, well, I'm also scared. It's like, right. I don't know that I'm gonna be okay. I wanted to and and this overcorrecting that we have to do as trans people, this like overperformance of like, don't worry, I'm gonna be fine, everything's gonna be okay. No, I won't regret taking testosterone. No, I'm definitely this, this, and this. And it's like, how the fuck do I know? Right. I don't know. But I have to like comfort everyone. And that's why I came out as a binary trans man before. I realized I was non-binary because I felt like I had to overcorrect. I had to be so certain of things. And so of course, when my parents were like, how can you know for certain you're only 17? I was like, well, I just do, you know? And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, I actually didn't, I didn't know for certain, but I had to because there was no spaciousness for phases or for question marks or for discovering things. But I had the same thing with surgery. You know, everyone's like, I'm so worried you won't be okay. And I'm like, well, now I'm worried. I won't be okay. But I <laughs> right. don't, there's no space for my worry. There's no space for my concerns because as soon as I speak to them, people will just be like, yeah, you shouldn't do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I there's got... no
0: room for trans regret,
1: you know? Right. Exactly. And it's like, ah, we got you. Yeah. We, we told you. All along. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Um, I'm just, yeah, that's exactly what it was. I was like, I don't, people were asking me all of these like technical medical questions. I was like, you know what? I don't fucking know. I'm not a doctor. Like when you get your gallbladder out, do you know all the like ins and outs of the surgery and the, the statistics? No, like it's literally, it's it's like, come on people. But you know, there's so much more surrounding when it's a trans person and some, you know, things that we're doing for ourselves. Um, I had a
0: parent just the other day message me and say like, hey, I would love to have a phone call. I have lots of questions. My kid has come out. I'm really worried about them binding and what it might do to their back and blah, blah, blah. And I responded and was like, hey, I really recommend having this conversation with a physio or an osteo. Like, I I don't know the impacts it's going to have on binding. I can speak to my own experience, but like, speak to a medical professional. And then I was like, here's a trans osteo, I know, go speak to them. But it's Mm -hmm. just this, yeah, this weird thing that they just, they're like, if you can't answer every single thing, then you can't do it. And it's like, people are having babies, like by accident all Uh, the time. People are getting tattoos that are culturally appropriative when they're 16. Like, let us not always know what the fuck we're doing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But let us have
1: that. There has to be some room. It's so fun. It's, I'm going to say funny, but I'm I mean, it's, maybe it's funny to me, but it's actually not funny that people expect, you know, I also get lots of emails from community members and DMs and things like that. And people ask me, I also recently had um, people asking me about binding and I'm like, I actually never was someone who bind, binded, bound. Um, so I don't like. I love like on the one hand, I love that people trust me and want to come to me as a resource. And on the other hand, it's like, I don't know everything <laughs> just because yeah. I'm trans doesn't mean I know everything.
0: Also like, doesn't hard. mean I have the capacity, like, yeah, especially when you're doing this work all the time, like I want to be open and available, but I do speeches to like hundreds of people multiple times a week. And that is already so exhausting, like to relive that trauma over and over again, and then log on to social media as a way of being like, all right, I'm out, my work hours are done. And you've got these DMs of like, I'm really transphobic and I really need your help to work through it. Or like, here's my entire coming out story. And it's like, again, I want to be here for you and I want to do this. And like, I'm not getting paid for this. and like and i'm I'm trying to recover after i've like just done all that, you know so i've I've gotten better at boundaries with that, but like it's still hard
1: it's really hard that i am I am still learning boundaries and learning and in, in all aspects of my life, and I you know try to explain to colleagues um just exactly what you said it's it is reliving trauma and even if it's even if i'm doing our like quote unquote one oh one training. I still get questions. I still am explaining things. I also do use my story to illustrate and be like, this is an an actual real life trans Jew Mm -hmm. exists and we're actually everywhere. People just aren't telling you because they don't know that it's safe to come out or to, you know, disclose. Um, And I'm like, it is, it's a lot of work. Like I, I, I can't. So eventually I was like, you know what, I'm only going to do X number of trainings a week. Like I have to Mm -hmm. assert that for myself. Um, yeah. Or I'm not going to be able to do this anymore. Um, and then, right. And then I come home and then I have my consulting practice on the side and I, I do, you know, speak and I have panels and I have, you know, the the yeah. podcast, it, it is a lot and, and the boundaries are hard. I actually, I watched an interview that you did, I think in 2017, um, that you, I, I, I thought I wrote it down, um, but essentially you said that no matter what, you're always, Always will listen to someone and you always give give of yourself even when you don't want to um you'll give of yourself and now it sounds like four four or five years later, your boundaries have shifted. is that accurate
0: yeah, I mean, yes and no. I still respond to almost every single message I get on Instagram, mm. like even just reactions to my stories mm. i I like it, and now i have you know I went from maybe having like a few hundred followers and at that time to like now I've got like over eleven thousand or something, so that the messages gain frequency, and I still respond to them all. Okay. Um, so I, yeah, I have my boundaries gotten better. Um, I've gotten better at referring people onto others. Mm-hmm. Like, I definitely don't leave meaningful messages unread. Like, uh, sometimes I I don't respond for a few weeks. Um, I've definitely gotten messages where I'm like, hey, I don't really have the capacity to have this conversation, but please feel free to like send it, send me a bump in like a couple of weeks or like, or you can go here, here and here. Um, I still think I am quite available to that. But I also think that with, more and more people coming out as trans and gender diverse less and less people will come to me Mm. um because i mean i get people who i went to high school with 10 years ago like contacting me and being like hey i was just wondering if i could ask you some questions about this and it's like do you seriously not know any other trans or gender diverse people like we haven't spoken in 10 years and i'm the first person you can think of to contact like come on you know like that's pathetic that's really sad to me um make more of an effort you know I also one one really strong boundary I have now is that I don't do school projects anymore I had a lot of like school kids or like undergraduate uni students be like hey I'm doing this assignment or like I'm doing this project at school I'd really like to ask you a few questions and I used to say yes and it was like It was essentially a podcast interview, which would go for between thirty minutes to an hour, asking me stuff that really is already online, Mm, (laughs) very much so. Like, when did you first know you were non-binary, and like, what's it been like, blah blah blah. You know, like grade six kind of questions or like little kid questions, which are great, but took so much energy and like so much work, and then you know didn't end up going anywhere other than their little school. Teacher marking it, you right. know. So, um, I've made a rule that I don't do those anymore. I'm like, there's lots of interviews online. You can get those answers there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is the one thing that I'm like, no, definitely not doing that anymore. But I feel bad. I'm like, these little students, they're so cute. They just like want to know more. Um, so it's hard because it's like, I think it's hard to find work boundaries when you genuinely really love what you do. Yeah. But yeah, I think I genuinely really love being more than just trans more than that you know like I think that for so many of my trans friends you know they came out and then they sort of moved on yeah um but I didn't because it's like my whole life so I think like I find it really cathartic to be able to tell stories from my childhood that have nothing to do with me being trans and to share those parts of me with my friends and and just make sure that I have enough time outside of work and outside of that narrative to be three-dimensional because otherwise I'm somewhat tokenizing myself. You know, I'm like creating myself into a caricature. Um, So yeah, I'm definitely getting better at that.
1: All we can do is get better incrementally. I think. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um so I um did some research and saw that you were in a documentary a documentary sorry um called love in full color what Mm. what's that about and where can we watch it somewhere Mm.
0: yeah so that was like almost where sort of everything started for me I guess because I kind of got thrust into this line of work i'm sure that you probably also found yourself in that rather than seeking it out i i'm not sure but i think more often than not it's like a it's a bit of a thing so yeah i was 15 i came out as lesbian at 15 and we had like a queer straight alliance at my school um private jewish school but like pretty progressive and had you know good relationships with creating those sorts of spaces uh, and basically, like my school was I could go to the school formal or the um, the prom in your in your language <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, with a same gender partner that was fine, but at the time, there was a lot of controversy around that because there were lots of other schools that weren 't allowing that to happen, and so minus eighteen is like an underage organization in Melbourne and also does um, Events and stuff around the country. Um, so, therefore, under 18 year olds to like come together, um, specifically for queer and trans folks. And I grew up going to their social events, and it was like just such a beautiful opportunity to be with other people like you. And I never had that really in the Jewish community. Um, there were so few people who were out in high school, really. And so that was really beautiful. And then they decided to have a a same gender formal at the time. They called it the same sex formal. This was quite a while ago now. Um, And this documentary filmmaker was like, I really want to follow these formals and these young people getting ready for the formals, what it means to them to be able to take their partners and stuff like that. So the filmmaker, Susie Taylor, she did it over three years and like marked a, a couple of different formals that we went to and, yeah, I don't even really know how I got involved, but it must have just been through Minus. and she did, like, long interviews with us, and um, I was, yeah, 15, 16 years old, went to the phone with my girlfriend, like, all of that, and then it eventually premiered at the Melbourne Queer Film Festival years later, and um, so many of us were really nervous about it because we had transitioned since mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that documentary and we're using different names, and so Susie was really great. She was like, how do you want me to you know, use your names in the documentary. How can I make this feel safer and better for you? And yeah, it was really beautiful. But then that kind of snowballed and and ended up in a lot of other opportunities that kind of came from it. Yeah. And
1: I think it's available to watch online. Hmm. Okay. I'll do some deeper digging so i also you had mentioned in this in this interview that i watched you gave a story about canned mushrooms do you know what i'm talking oh, about yeah <laughs> 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 yeah true anyways i love yeah. that um i would, like
0: that though i'm like that's a cool quote <laughs> it, was, it
1: was i
0: like when people listen to my old stuff and then i'm like you said this smart thing and i'm like true that's cool
1: i don't remember but yeah great. well like, do you remember the <laughs> moment though that you were talking about canned i remember mushrooms? the mushroom
0: story because I remember it, that used to be part of my speeches, but mm. I don't do that anymore. Not for any good reason other than I just forgot that I used to do it. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I like that idea of like authenticity is a good thing if it's fluid. And I think that that's true. It's like as, as soon as you back yourself into a corner and you like create a st- stagnant environment, like that's no longer authentic um, because you're not interested in growing anymore and, and I think that that happens in relationships a lot as well it's like this is the person I fell in love with and so I want you to be that person forever and you're like stagnating each other because you're not allowing yourself to evolve and shift and change and and be comfortable with like the fact that that compatibility may not align in the future um and so, yeah, I like that idea because I think there were lots of moments in my coming out that I felt backed into a corner. Like, I remember when I first came out as a lesbian and I was like, oh, God, like, I'm only 15. What happens if I fall in love with a man? And then people will be like, see, you were never a lesbian or, like, it's disproven or something like that. And, and I think now, like, I'm just so comfortable with the idea that everything could change, like, that I just have no idea who I'm going to be in the future. And that that's fine because no one does, you know? And yeah, I think like, I got a message on Instagram not that long ago from someone who was like, you know, I read your book when I was really young and I was just coming to terms with my trans identity. And like, I just wanted to say how grateful I am for learning that like the only thing I can really rely on is that everything will change. Mm. And that, you know, like the only constant is change kind of thing. And as cliche as that, Quote might be like, it's true. It's like, if that's the thing you attach to is like fluidity and change, you'll never be surprised and you'll never really be caught off guard. But if your expectation is that, like, this is it, I finally reached my destination, then the rug can be pulled from underneath you so easily. And that's how I felt when I like finally got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm a trans man. This is what I fought for for so long. It makes sense. Like, I thought I was a lesbian, I wasn't. I'm a trans man. Great. I'm going to go on T. I'm going to get top surgery. Then I'll be happy. <laughs> and, you know, I got to the other side of a lot of those things and I was like, and now I have dysphoria being read as a man. Mm. And I never thought that I would. And I never anticipated that. And I just went into such a deep pit of depression. Cause I was like, what do you want? Like, what do you want body? You know, I'm trying so hard. I'm doing all of the things that you're asking me for. And you're still experiencing dysphoria. Like, What else do you need? You know, and same with anxiety. Like I've tried so hard to like push anxiety out of me to the point where I constrict my body so tightly around it that when I actually just recognize that it exists, that it lives inside me, and then I can expand and breathe around it, then there's so much more space for me to feel around that anxiety, you know? And so once I had that experience of being like, fuck, I'm, I've done everything I can and it's still not enough. And now I'm realizing I'm non-binary and that I'm actually very femme and that I want to wear dresses and I want to wear makeup. And this is going to be such a headspin for my family Mm -hmm. (laughs) after everything I put them through. After that, like, I was like, I just can't attach to anything anymore. I have no idea. I'm just going to see what happens. And there is such a profound peace I think that comes in that. And I think when you said earlier around like, what does coming in, Feel like coming into yourself, I think that was truly the moment because I was no longer trying to like shave down parts of myself to fit into one of those boxes. You know, when I was young, I was like taking notes on how to be a girl, trying so hard to fit in, trying to like, you know, do all the right things so I wouldn't be picked out. Then when I was trying to be a guy, I was looking at passing guides. I was learning how to fold my arms and not put them over my hips, how to look at my nails. What was urinal etiquette? What was this? Again, I was like writing notes and trying so hard to fit in and, you know, and pass and blah, blah, blah. And then eventually I just threw it all out. I was like, I don't want to anymore. Like, I don't want to pretend. I don't want to try. I just want to like, get dressed based on the seasons and what's like appropriate for where I'm going and what makes me feel good. I just want to like be who I am. I don't want to be assumed. I don't want anything to be assumed of me unless people actually know me. And again, I think there is a profound peace that comes in that. That is when I really like found comfort in myself and found solace in the fact that everything changes all the time and that there are going to be lots of different versions of me and that I love all versions of me too that I'm not trying to be the ultimate version of myself that I'm recognizing how all of those versions have contributed
1: to me yeah that's really beautiful i started tea last july and i feel like i i don't know but I have a feeling I'm going to feel dysphoria when people assume that I'm a man. Cause I, 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 I like, I tried changing my pronouns to he, him for like a week. And I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> I, yeah. Like it was nice because everyone was immediately like, yeah. And like integrated into my w- w- world. And then I was like, actually, you know what? You did such a good job. I know that's yeah. not for me. <laughs> Too good a job. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I love that idea of, of not being attached and just like, um, knowing that things are going to change. I have started, you know, when I, when people ask me questions, I'd be like, you know what, never say never. I don't know. I, I never thought that I, and mostly because I think that I have found that my attraction has started to shift mm-hmm. and that I used to always only be attracted to like femme people. Um, and yeah, just welcome as
0: I day tea land,
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now I'm like, hmm, I'm actually intrigued by other gender and gender presentations, and it's like, you know what? I'm tired. I'm done. Like trying to like, like you say, you know, like figure it out because it's just mm. gonna change again. Um, yeah. And so it's really comforting to know that you know other people feel that way as well.
0: And I think it's nice to just like have curiosity, you know, and have wonderment that like we don't know everything in the world that we try so hard that like capitalism dictates that white supremacy, toxic masculinity. Like we want to know, we want to be the keepers of knowledge. We want to have certainty. I say, embrace uncertainty. Like who the fuck knows? What are we all doing here? I don't know. Why is the sky blue? Like I got no clue, you know? And that's what I love about like kids and the wonderment that they have. And like all of these questions that they have that we like, eventually just like squash out of ourselves. And I think it's beautiful to be like, I wonder what new parts of myself I'll discover. I wonder what today will bring. I wonder if I'll feel happiness in my body or sadness in my body. If I'm feeling sadness, I wonder what might make it feel better or might shift that experience. Maybe I'll try some chocolate. Maybe I'll try this, you know, when it's less like judgment and seeking certainty and much more wonderment and curiosity i think that it just like presents this whole new way of like navigating the world even
1: yeah absolutely um i'm an improviser and i love playing pretend it's like it is such a fun thing to like get curious and to you know literally play pretend and it's like such a reminder it's also such a good safe place well when done right to explore gender, which is where I, I found that I was exploring a lot. Um, I do want to, um, before I move us into our last section, there is, I do want to talk to you a little bit about Judaism. And so you went to a Jewish day school and you said mm-hmm. that it was pretty progressive. Um, what was it like, I guess, going, growing up in a Jewish day school and knowing that you held, held these queer identities and are you still active in Judaism now? And how does that, how does that um, like look for you?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. I definitely grew up like very in Jewish community. Um, and I went to like a youth movement for all of my growing up very similar to how it works in the US, except we don't do like long summer camps, we do like weekly meetings, and then shorter camps for like five to ten days or something. Um, So I was involved in Hubbonim Draw, Drawer, which is Mm -hmm. also a thing in the US. Um, And I was in that movement for 13 years. I think like being in Hubbo for the most part was really good for me. Like there was a lot of space I felt to be queer and to like experiment and to be embraced for who I was and to Learn critical analysis and spaces that I didn't necessarily feel like I had at school. But I think, you know, something that people often misunderstand about Judaism is that it is a religion first and foremost. Whereas I think for a lot of us, it is a culture first and foremost in which mm-hmm. religion is a part, but so is food and gossip and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, music and art and language. And like, there is so much more that just because the religion might say something about something, it it just doesn't feel very relevant. So I didn't feel any like judgment really around my queerness when it came to the religious side of things. I think it was more like the cultural norms and you have Mm. a lot of cultural norms that will dictate, for example, that you don't eat pork and it's not because you follow any of the other like religious dictations but because that's just not the done thing in our community you know and and I think there's quite a lot of that there's this um there's this piece and this saying of like the the synagogue that I go sorry the synagogue that I don't go to must be orthodox which is very much like the way that I present myself in the community must be a certain way even if it's not the truth or exactly what it looks like so I definitely felt that but my family was never really part of that They didn't really care about that so much so I didn't feel like it came at odds with my queerness all that much it was more just like the gossip of Jewish community that if you come out to one person everyone's going to know because of how fast information (laughs) spreads which was kind of a good thing in a sense Um, how much I was like sort of thrust into a spokesperson role because there weren't a lot of people that were out in high school as gay, let alone as trans. Mm -hmm. I think the like really monocultural experience that I had growing up was definitely challenging. And I really don't want my kids to grow up like that with only Jewish people around, you know, like my, my mom has very few non-Jewish friends. And I would say for the most part, they're all Ashkenazi Jewish. Like, I don't want, that and i don't live like that anymore and i'm so grateful to my queerness and my transness for bringing me into very different spaces and to be conscious of very different politics and to be more engaged in you know anti racism and first nations justice and things that i just don't feel like are prevalent enough in the jewish community yeah um but i will say that like while my transness has maybe been somewhat challenging in jewish community it's been nothing compared to my social justice stuff and that, you know, Melbourne and Australia in general is one of the most Zionist communities in the world. The conflation between Zionism and Judaism has been a really big thing. I was deeply indoctrinated into Zionism and through my youth movement and very much found this like odds every time I entered queer spaces that were very anti-Zionist and, it, and because of the ways I had been indoctrinated, that to me was a perception i perceived that as Mm anti-semitism and so these spaces became unsafe for me and it's been a really long process over the last few years unlearning and deprogramming a lot of those things yeah i am now very much not a zionist and quite actively anti-zionist but i would say that that is way more dangerous in the jewish community than being trans in my experience that i would be quicker excommunicated from my family for being an anti-zionist than for being trans um and the ramifications of that are quite huge and the more that i speak to my anti-zionism publicly the less opportunities i will ever get within jewish
1: communities to work there yeah do you do you do any kind of work in the jewish community right now
0: not really like so i run a facebook group um called here queer and jewish australia so it's like four queer jews all around australia there are about 400 members at this point i think um and we do events together i do like a queer passover every year which is really beautiful and fun and we do hanukkah stuff sometimes and i'd like to do more of it but it's kind of been a pretty solo project for a while with like a few people helping here and there but i got a grant for that recently and that's been really useful um and we're going to start doing an anti-Zionist learning group as well. So just to kind of have some of those conversations and to work through some of that programming. Um, But yeah, other than that, I've done a workshop here or there. I've done some speeches here or there. I also find it quite challenging because I'm like, I want to be present in Jewish community and I want to be doing training in Jewish organizations, but so many of them are Zionist. Mm -hmm. And I actually don't know what that means for me. Like I don't know how much I can engage with those spaces even with hubbo like hubbo is supposedly like a progressive like left-wing kind of group but the more that i look into zionism and and the ways that i was indoctrinated through it the harder that it is to rectify like my experiences with them and being involved with them so it feels like a real shedding of a lot yeah um yeah it's still a challenge Yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah um
1: can people who are not in australia be in this group
0: uh no at this point it an only australian group but i mean i'd love to do a worldwide group at some point that would be cool that would be very cool it would be a lot to admin
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes you're right um okay so i don't want to do this but we are um i I need to move us into our lightning round of questions yes please Um, go so the first two seasons, the questions I was lovingly called in were very binary. So now my questions are mostly open-ended. Um, so except for one, uh, so just as quickly as possible, um, name, if you could name your own crayon, what would you name it? I
0: was going to say lavender, but I'm like, that's probably already. (laughs) Um, um, Oh God, everything I'm thinking of is problematic. um, (laughs) Finding me though.
1: Love it. Favorite oh, shoot, time of one. day.
0: <laughs> uh oh, maybe like early afternoon.
1: Beautiful. Favorite current queer media representation?
0: Mm. I just watched sort of on Stan that I really
1: loved with mm-hmm. a trans femme protagonist it's yep. called sort of i'm pretty sure cool yeah. um a song that makes your heart soar. uh
0: at the moment i've been listening to a lot of lesbian music and there's an australian band called the maze and they have a song called half moon bay that is very much my song with my partner um so that's
1: beautiful i love that yeah. um favorite way to travel
0: Uh I was gonna say slowly. <laughs> <laughs> like with lots of time and spaciousness and like opportunity for for things being organized. I like organized travel. Yeah.
1: Beautiful. That's such a great way to interpret that question. <laughs> um <laughs> favorite quote.
0: Oof. Um well oh, I'm not really a quotes kind of guy so much, but I think anything Andrea Gibson has ever said, ever. Um, yeah,
1: that checks out. I
0: I really loved um what they said in one of their poems that the line is like anything but I love you is small talk.
1: Mm. Nice. Yeah. Okay, bagels or donuts. Oh, that's anti-semitic <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um oh, fuck, I don't know. Oh. Uh donuts but but like I but I don't want that on the podcast (laughs) don't don't tell my community or myself I hate that I'm sorry both great good I love both a lot I think
1: I think you might be the first person to ever just see like both so good job (laughs) yeah because like yeah apparently I just learned that there's a cream cheese cream cheese shortage in New York City and now I'm like slightly panicking Isn't that like your whole culture there though? Yes, it is. Wow, that's wild. So I don't know what my colleague texted me and he's like, should I start hoarding cream cheese? And I was like, yes. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Um, This has been incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. Yeah, so where where on social media can we find you and send you respectful DMs and not ask a lot of (laughs) you? And do you have um, anything else that we can follow or should know about? Sure, yeah.
0: So you can find me on Instagram, is probably the main place that I'm active with just my name, Zisun. Um, You can find me on Twitter. I'm there very occasionally finding navore one <laughs> Twitter handle. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, my website, Navarzissen.com. I'm really keen to do more training internationally as well, like with Zoom and all the things, it's much more possible. Um, I'd also really love to come to the US when it's a little bit more. Um, more pragmatic to do so but um yeah i'd love to do some gigs and things in the u.s uh if that's possible in future um where else facebook nervousness and author
1: um yeah that's that's me amazing i'll make sure to tag you in the places um and then yeah when it's safe let's try to figure out a way to collaborate here in the states
0: i would love that that would be awesome we could do some really cool trans-jewish stuff
1: yeah absolutely um thank you for coming out
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me in.
1: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Thank you for coming out. Hey, everyone. It's your host, Dubs Weinblatt. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps. And we want to hear from you. We want to know your coming out story. Head on over to Thank You For Coming Out's Instagram page at thank you for coming out and click the link in our bio. There's a form there where you can submit your coming out story, either anonymously or with your name, and you can have the chance to hear your story read out on the Thank You for Coming Out podcast. We're so happy that you're part of our community, and we want you to know that your story matters. Thank you for coming out.